Welcome to Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. Innovative, evidence-based recovery that helps to identify intergenerational trauma, allowing for freedom and embracement of the healing process. Today, episode 39, Grieving the Loss of a Child, part one. And now your host, Dr. Donna Bevanley. And this is Dr. Donna Bevanley helping you heal your family legacy. Welcome back. And today, um, I would like to go over something I referred to probably a few months ago, where when you decide that you are going to really get into your history, your personal history and your family. And remember, I'm not talking about the history that's been told to you and where, you know, families will talk about how much fun it was being on at the dinner table and how much fun a person was because they were always cracking jokes. And in, and you look at that and you might have heard that all your life, something like that. And then when you do this work and you look at what was really going on there to uh, make you a person that cracks jokes at the dinner table, and you think about that and you say, well, you know, it's like, well, if we weren't laughing, bad things happen. Food got thrown, you know, people started yelling at each other. And so that might have been the real story, the, the facts of the situation. And the person who was the comedian was the one that was trying to get the family to think about something else, start laughing so that everybody could eat dinner. And so when you look at the facts of your childhood and you start to recognize what really was going on, which was there was it wasn't a safe environment. It wasn't I'll say it wasn't an environment where people felt like they could be who they were, um, where there was less than nurturing going on. Um, you you go through that, you look at the facts, and most of the time people feel two feelings. One is that they feel some relief that, oh, I wasn't crazy after all. And even though I'm the one in therapy or I'm the one doing this work, I'm not really the sick one. In fact, what I've experienced and what I've discovered over the years of being a therapist is that the one that's screaming the loudest, the one that goes to therapy, the one that ends up in AA or NA or something, they're actually the more healthy ones because they're sitting there going, hey, everybody, we've got a problem here, and I'm going to show you what it looks like, while everyone else is sitting around thinking that, well, it's isn't it interesting how so-and-so becomes the family comedian, and we really miss them when they're gone, okay? So the people who adapt to really less-than-nurturing family situations are usually the ones who are not well. They might look okay on the outside. They might look like they have the picket fence or that their kids are doing, you know, X, Y, or Z, but the the car, it's a house of cards. And those cards do crumble. Uh, sometimes overtly, sometimes not so obviously. But at the end of the day, 
when you do this work, you find yourself in grief. So you feel relief because you think, oh, I wasn't crazy after all. And I've discovered that what I thought was really bad going on really was bad. And I was affected by that. Um, the other thing is that you start to grieve. When you lose something, no matter what it is, there's a grief process that accompanies that, and you can't avoid it. People do all kinds of things to avoid it, but grief is grief, and it will rule the day, whether or not you want it to. And when you look at the fact that if you grew up in a family that was less than nurturing, where there was abuse, abandonment, neglect, all those things I talked about in the beginning, you will grieve the loss of that childhood. You don't get to have a second childhood. You know, I've seen bumper stickers around, in not a lot, thank goodness, but uh, bumper stickers that says, you know, I'm in my second childhood, and I'm thinking, and you're driving a car? Not a good situation. Because if you're in your second childhood, that means that you're a grown-up acting like a child or like you're a grown-up acting like a teenager. That's never good for our world, and it isn't good for you. It's important to have fun. And um, I know that if you have ever been to an ACOA meeting, adult children of alcoholics, that one of the symptoms of being an adult child of an alcoholic is that you don't know how to play. You don't know how to have fun. If you are yourself an alcoholic, you've discovered that, well, if I drink enough alcohol, then I can have fun because all of my defenses are down. And then you find out the next day that, oh, that wasn't so much fun. That was really not good for me. But People who grow up in families that are less than nurturing would generally have trouble having fun. It doesn't mean that you have to go back and relive a childhood. It just means that you need to take time for yourself. Let yourself grieve the loss of a childhood so that you can move on. Now, when we're talking about grief, it's about, you know, being sad and angry, and, you know, sometimes feeling some despair over the loss of somebody or something that's very important to you. Um, even if you've lost something that doesn't seem to be important, if it was in you, if you had it, and it was important enough for you to keep it and to treasure it, and now it's gone, you will feel the loss. Now, I'm going to be 71 pretty soon, and I've noticed over, you know, the last few years that there's loss, you know, loss and grief is about aging, too, because you lose abilities as you age. Now, some people lose these abilities faster than others, but, you know, when you're getting up in the morning and you feel that hip or that knee, and it wakes you up because, oh dear, that hurts. That usually, you know, it's like you are really reminded that there's loss going on here. 
the loss of the ability to move about the way you want to, the loss of the ability to be pain-free, the loss of, you know, eyesight, hearing starts to go. You know, you have to work pretty hard at keeping your brain active um, because if you're growing older, you may not be working like you were. So there's loss that goes on in our lives all the time. Two years ago, I lost my mother. Now, I've always thought that's a very strange way to put that, but because she wasn't really lost, she died. <laughs> and even though I'm older, my mother's death was had quite an impact on me. Um, and I still feel that loss from uh, from my mother's death. And so as you as human beings, we experience loss often, even as a child. You know, I, I was um, observing my little grandson the last time I saw him, is that he has a thing about whatever is in his father's hand, he wants it. And he will hold on to that for a whole day and not let go of it. For instance, keys. He gets a hold of my son's keys. He wants those keys. He will drag those keys around the house while he plays with other things. They're in one hand, and whatever else he's playing with is in the other hand. Take the keys away, and you would think that the world had ended. So there's a loss, a little loss. Today I want to talk about what I think is one of the biggest losses, and I might have to redo this in a few months. <laughs> I hope not. But one of the most challenging and distressful losses that a person can go through is the loss of a child. And I remember the first time when this ever occurred to me was when my grandmother, uh, on my father's side, when she was aging, she used to come and stay with me in Phoenix, when I lived in Phoenix, for a few months out of out of the winter. And I really treasured that time with her um, because when I was there, I was always having to share her with everybody else. And I just wanted to have time with her by myself. So as she aged and I lived in Phoenix, she thought it might be a good idea for her to come down there and stay with me during uh, the winter sometime. <clears throat> she would do this. And I had an opportunity to ask her about her life. And I learned a lot about her life. And one of the things that she said that really hit me, obviously, this has been like 40 years ago. Um, we were talking about my Uncle Dan, who was her oldest child. And he died at an at a relatively early age. I think he was in his 40s, and he died of a heart attack. Um, he was also a war hero, World War II, and, you know, was really viewed in the family, at least from my perspective, as like a hero in the family. And so he died when he was young, in his 40s. That would have made my grandmother say in her late 50s or early 60s, because she had him when she was very, very young. 
But she talked to me about this should never happen. Now, this was a woman who was born and raised on a reservation, who, you know, at least learned how to read. I know that because she was an avid reader of Western novels. She was really something else. Um, But she said, this should never be this way. It's not natural for a child to die before the parent. And she said, I never get over it. See, and this was had been, what, 20 years when we had this conversation, at least 20. It could have been even 25 years since he had died. And she was still grieving this loss. She would tear up. Now, she wasn't prone to bursting into tears, but she did tear up when she talked about my Uncle Dan. And she kept saying, it just shouldn't be this way. I should never have to bury my child. And, yeah, I don't think that's how it's supposed to be in nature. But, you know, who knows about nature? Nature is the only one that knows about nature. And I thought I, that, I took that into my clinical brain and, thought about the people that I had been working with who had lost a child. And their lives were changed in dramatic ways when they lost a child. Now, I remember when I worked in an emergency room. Oh, this was um, probably about 50 years ago. Um, I worked in an emergency room, and at the time, I was, uh, my job, besides working with victims of crime and, you know, trying to help people find, you know, who does this person belong to, uh, getting signatures, uh, dealing with, you know, the suffering. That's what I would always call it when I worked in major trauma center emergency room was that day after day, You know, human suffering sits in front of you. But some of the some of the experiences that I recall that were really profound to me, uh, because I also worked in the coroner's morgue that was connected with that particular emergency room at the time. And in the coroner's morgue, I would just I would check in bodies of dead people who had died outside of uh, the hospital or outside of a doctor's office um, who were unexplained, unexpected, unintended deaths. And the ones that remain in my mind are are the ones where I had to bring parents in to identify their children's remains. And the kind of pain and sadness and despair that I saw in those moments really went into my soul. And it was so painful to be in the presence. And the only thing I could do, which turns out was the best thing to do, was just give them the emotional and spiritual space to try to accommodate that loss. Um, over the 
course of my being a therapist and working in my field, I've had this experience way too many times where a parent is trying to just accommodate. And that is really the only word that I can come up with to talk about what does a person do when they lose a child. This is not a grief that you just get through. You get, you know, if you are semi-healthy, if this happens to you, you might be able to return to life as you as you were able to know it before. And I've had parents tell me that their life is now before the loss of a child and after the loss of a child. And the word that I said comes to mind, has over, always come to mind, was the word accommodation. Now, when you deal with the loss of your childhood and you grieve that loss, you usually feel better after you've grieved the loss. So there's, okay, I've been doing it this way forever and I'm not getting my needs met and I don't have a good relationship and I'm finding that I'm not able to even approach looking at my own dreams and hopes for my life. And then you go through the process that we've been talking about where you are looking at your own childhood and you end up getting through it and you grieve the loss of that childhood, you do feel better. You're able to sometimes just put it in the rearview mirror. It doesn't ever quite go away because, well, if you're like me and you still have family, it's a constant reminder because they're there. But you are able to look at that with some, say, sweet sadness to, you know, move through your day. It doesn't affect you every day. In fact, your life is better every day. And really, the only time that that comes back up is if there's a trigger. Okay, like, I'll talk about some of those triggers later on, like holidays. Um, But you feel better after you've grieved that loss. When you experience the loss of a child, you don't really get to the point where you, quote, feel better. Let's go back and look at what a child means. Now, this is something I know clinically. I've heard people talk about. I've experienced it myself. You go through life and you are, you know, going to work or you are you know, going to school, hanging out with your friends, going on trips. You're doing all these things and it's you and your friends or you and your partners or you and, you know, whoever is in your immediate experience. When you have a child, the you part of your life starts to take a backseat and your focus is on your child as it should be course, if you're an adult, your life, hopefully, is in a place where you can, you still go to work, you still, yeah, might go on vacation, but all of these things that you used to do, you have to now say, okay, if I'm going to go back to work, 
after the birth of a child or after the adoption of a child, then I need to get some kind of care for my child. Okay, so it's not just, oh, I think I'll go back to work now, like after you have a vacation. No, this re- this is requires you to then, what? who's going to take care of my child? My most prized experience is having this child, and now this child, I'm someone else is going to take care of it besides me? And so you to you you go around and you look at daycares and you look at caregivers and you try to determine who best can I, you know, have take care of my child. And that is very stressful to people. And we're seeing it now with people trying to go back and work, especially for women trying to go back to work when they can't get childcare, or it's so expensive that they they can't afford to go back to work and pay childcare. It's like I go back to work, I get you know four thousand dollars a month, and it costs me four thousand dollars a month for childcare. Well, I think I'll just stay home and take care of my own child because it's not going to do me any good financially, right? So my point though is that when you have a child. Your life changes. Oh, where you could have just, you know, said, hey, let's go, let's go on a weekend getaway. Well, with the child, that might change too. You could still go on the weekend getaway, but now you've got to pack all kinds of stuff for your kid. You've got to make sure the kid's okay. You've got to make sure that where you're going, that kids are welcome. It's not so easy. And so your child really becomes a primary focus in your life. You know, most people, myself included, can tell you the first day that their child went off to school. You can't believe it. You're like you are focusing on your child. You know, it's like as a baby, you know, you're taking care of them 24-7. Um as they grow, you're taking them to the doctor, you're getting them their vaccinations, you are having, you know, play dates, you are, you know, it's like, okay, well, I got to go to work. So I've got to, you know, find somebody to help take care of my child. And now they're going off to school, and they are going to be away from you for four to six or so hours a day, where somebody that you haven't necessarily chosen is going to be involved with your child all day long, every day, where there's all kinds of other kids. You don't know who's going to be the bully. You don't know. You know, it's like you've tried to prepare yourself. And there's also a sense of pride that your kid is probably, you know, a combination of excited and scared and nervous about going off and, you know, being with all these kids. Most of them, they might not even know. And it's a big day. There are all kinds of big days when you have a child. There are big days when the first time they fall down and split their head open and they've got to go, you know, take them to the emergency room. And there's so much anxiety when your child is hurt. 
You know, it's like you can see it on a person's face when they walk into the emergency room. And because I did work in emergency rooms for four years in major count, major hospitals, trauma centers, the look on the tr- the parents' face was just, they were in total terror for those two stitches that their little kid had to get in their forehead because they fell down. So this experience of having a child is a very profound experience. It changes your life forever. Life is never the same when you become a parent. Everything is about how to work with and include your child, not just accommodate them, but include them, embrace them. And you find out, you know, if you are a parent who, you know, really loves your child and recognizes that this is not only somebody that you love and adore and you fall in love with as soon as you see that they're real, (laughs) but it's important for the world. It's like there's a responsibility as a parent that you have to try and raise a child who will be um, an addition to the world, who will go out and do things that will help others, that will, you know, be a contributor to the world and to our society. So there's a lot that goes into this parenting thing. And, you know, when I'm talking about the loss of a child, it's really important to understand the value of a child. And I will tell you right now, the value of a child is inherent. And as a parent, every time you look at that little face, they're able to read whether or not their value. Every time as a parent, you make decisions about what you're going to do, taking into account that child. That child knows when they're being valued. And when I say it's inherent, it's I have said this before, and I and I will refer back to um, an article that I read of a mother. A mother wrote an article about her son who had committed suicide because he was gay and he was in a very fundamentalist religion, religious group. And no matter what he did, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't make that work for himself. And because he was a young adolescent, um, he did the only thing that he thought he could do, which was to leave the earth because he couldn't make that work with a God that was so against being gay. And she wrote an article, and in that article she said she wanted to tell him, you have value because you breathe. Every child has a birthright to feel that. They have value because they breathe. And I'm going to pick up on that on our next show But I'd like you to think about that, even for yourself, that you have value because you breathe. You don't have to prove your value. Okay, I'll see you next week. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Healing Your Family Legacy here on the Experience of the Soul podcast channel. This channel is made possible because of listeners just like you. If you would like to support the channel with your tax-deductible contribution on an ongoing basis or through a one-time gift, head over to experienceofthesoul.com support. Healing Your Family Legacy is copyright 2021, Dr. Donna Bevan Lee, all rights reserved. Our theme music is composed by Dave Croft and used with permission. The Experience of the Soul podcast channel is a production of 818 Studios.